Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to turn to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. We'll be looking at uh, chapter 5 this morning. And I want to ask you a question. What is your life sentence? Uh, there's a few ways you might, uh, you might think about that, right? What is your life sentence? Sometimes we think of a way to describe our purpose, right? You might think of like if, if I were to describe why I believe God put me on this earth, on this world, I might describe it, you might think of it like an elevator pitch, right? What's a short, a succinct way to describe why I exist in this life? You might think of your life sentence in that way, right? Um, you might think about another kind of life sentence, and that is, that's the sentence that will be on everyone's tombstone. We call it an epitaph, your life sentence. He was here and he loved his family well. You know, everyone's life sentence, everyone's epitaph will end with something to the effect of whether or not it's written, and he died. And she died. There's not one of us that will escape that life sentence. And in our passage this morning, there are two themes that we're going to see that stand out. In fact, much of what we'll read will sound very much the same. It will be very much the same, save a few names along the way. It's almost like a fill in the blank, and then we just kind of keep reading down and fill in certain blanks along the way. Living and dying. Now, that may not sound like a big aha to you. That might not sound like a, uh, something great and a creative way to think about our message, but it is the reality nonetheless. Uh, in chapter 4, several weeks ago, we noticed how the descendants of Adam followed two distinct uh, lines through Cain and through Abel, right? We know Abel worshipped God in, by faith and was bringing, by bringing his bleeding sacrifice as the basis of his approach to the Lord in worship. God told them what they needed to do to worship, and we know that Adam worshipped in the way they, that, that God uh, communicated to them would be appropriate. Adam knew he could not come to God uh, on his own. I keep saying Adam, Abel, knew that he could not come to God on his own. Why? Well, because his mom and dad sinned. And once his mom and dad sinned, everything changed from there on out. Well, Cain, his brother, ignored that fact. Cain, Cain came on his own basis. Cain came uh, on the basis of what he brought that he thought was acceptable. Knowing he's a sinner by choice, but also because of how his dad sinned. And he came to God on his own terms. And God, God said, no, it, it doesn't work like that. And he didn't accept his offering. And then Cain was angry because God didn't accept his offering. He thought, well, God should accept what I give him. Sometimes we think like that. Sometimes we live like that, right? God should just be happy that I give him anything. It's a dangerous, pretty precarious place to be. The reminder of the chapter traces this godless line of Cain down to the seventh generation. And then it closes with the account of the birth of, of Seth the appointed successor of Abel, and, uh, and the one from whom 
the chosen race and the Messiah would come. So Genesis 5 now begins a, a new section and it traces this line of Seth for us. And in almost every case, we're going to see these phrases. When so-and-so had lived X number of years, he fathered and his son's name. So-and-so lived after he fathered so-and-so X number of years, and then he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of so-and-so were X number of years. And he died. And he died. We're going to read every one of them, all 32 verses, because we need to hear the repeated pattern. We need to see how this is true for each and every one of our lives. So I'm going to read Genesis chapter 5. Now you'll notice, sometimes we get to these sections of the Bible, and I won't tell if this is you, if you do your Bible reading in the year plan, right? And you get to these generations, Bible calls them toledots, these these, uh, these books of generations that are important, right? Every word of God is important for us. And so we get to these sections and we go, yeah, okay, like uh, Adam, Seth, Enos, Canaan. Okay, good. Next chapter. That was a quick chapter, right? That did not take very much time in my reading today. So we're going to read it all. Uh, the Lord has good stuff in here for us. This is the book of generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and he named them man when they were created. When Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his own image, and he named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. You ready for the first one together? And he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he, after he fathered Kenan 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had, 70, had lived 70 years, he fathered uh, Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters, and thus all of the days of Kenan were 910 years. And he died. When Mahalalel lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. 
Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were 969 years. And he died. When Lamech, you remember Lamech as we read last week, remember he beat his chest for how brutal he was and bragged to his wives about well, he killed him for that, or I'll kill him for far less, right? This is this arrogant uh, pride that he had. When Lamech lived 182 years, he fathered a son, and he called his son Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work from, and from our painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the years of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Moses, if you remember, wrote these words to the Israelites who were poised and ready to conquer, enter and conquer Canaan. They were ready to go take the land that God had promised them, right? They were prone to rebel and they were prone to uh, return to Egypt or they were going to join the idolatry and the immorality of the pagan nations that were around them. And so if we remember from the very beginning of, of Genesis, we're reminded that Moses wrote uh, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, to the Israelite people who needed a reminder of who their God was, of how God had created mankind. And here in this book might be the first mention of the, of, of the book. Well, it is, in fact, but... He's trying to remind them, as you go into this godless culture, don't follow the line of Cain. Follow the line of Seth. As you go into this godless culture, you're going to have many temptations. And it's important that we remember with the word temptations, they're temptations because they're tempting to us. Oh, I'm not tempted by that. Well, you're tempted by something. And so as we go into, to the Israelites and to us today, as we go into this godless culture, we're going to have many temptations, including the temptation to strive to make progress without God. We're going to strive to do things our own way, to live life according to the beat of our own drum, and to ultimately walk away from the Lord. And you need to remember that you will die. Everybody's going to die. Everybody has a life sentence and it's all the same. And he died. And she died. 
Hebrews says, it is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. Every one of us is going to stand before our creator one day. And you will only live in this fallen world by calling upon the name of the Lord and by walking with God. Really one and the same thing. We call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation because we recognize our own sin. And we say, I can't live in this world on my own strength. I can't make it to heaven on my own good works. Anytime I try to compare myself with anybody, I compare myself to the next guy. Well, that's not good enough. The only one that is, is Jesus. And so we call upon his name and he promises to save those who call on him in faith. And we walk with God. Since the day that Moses wrote this to the Israelites, God's words are just as practical for us today, right? We live in a a pagan world. There are temptations all around us. We forget the shortness of our life, and we want to join the world's progress. We want to join the world's system. We want to join in and, and embrace the world's ideas. But God says, no, you need to cling to me, cling to my word. It is always right. It is always true. And it is your only hope. And so if we make progress without God, what we're really only doing is building our own little kingdoms rather than engaging in in building God's kingdom. Walking with God is the only way to live life in this world with the hope of eternal life. Walking with God is the only way to live in this world with the hope of eternal life. I mentioned a minute ago that Genesis 5.1 is, is the first mention of, of the word book here, or you, you, you might call it Bible for those uh, Old Testament folks, right? And the first mention of book in the New Testament is in Matthew 1.1, where it lays out uh, the generation, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And so the first book, if you will, tells us about, uh, about the lineage of Adam. And the second book speaks about the origins of the last Adam, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians, Paul summarizes this. He says in verse uh, 1547, he says, The first man was from the earth, a man of the dust, and the second man is from heaven, or the Lord of heaven. And so as we read the, the, the very first couple of verses of, uh, of uh, this, uh, this chapter here, you're going to see that the word, uh, the word Adam and the word man both translate Uh, the same Hebrew word. And it's actually the context that tells us whether this means man or mankind or whether this means Adam more specifically, right? So that's why verse two reads, male and female, he created them and he blessed them and he named them man in the day that they were created, which is a reference back to Genesis 1, 26 through 28, right? And so what we're seeing here is that God is giving us a complete record of human history, a complete summarized record of human history from the very beginning. Henry Morris points out it's necessary for Noah to record, I'm sorry, for Noah's records to be identified uh, with with both of these uh, generations that are listed here early in the Bible. Uh, because it's the continuation of the official history of the human race and especially of the line of promise. So if you take, um, and, and, and some scholars have charted this out, um, but if you take uh, everyone that's listed here and you 
kind of plot their lives, right, it'd be between about 1,600 and about maybe about 2,300 years span of time, right? Because they lived this long, and then they had a son, and then after they had the son, they lived this length of time. And as you add those up, it comes out to somewhere between 1,600 and, and uh, 2,300 years or so. So because of the fall, friends, we must die. Because of the fall, we must die. You have to look at the bad news before you can understand the good news. If you, under, if you, if you refuse to understand the bad news or the truth, the good news isn't actually good news. It really actually doesn't matter. You see, if you look at your own life, if you consider your ways and you think, you know what, I'm doing just fine. And like Cain, you think God should just accept me how I am because I'm a pretty good person. I try to be nice to other people. Listen, God gives us his common grace to be able to express some of his character traits. But none of us, not one of us will do it perfectly. Not one of us will ever do it perfectly. And so every one of us must die, and it's the result of sin. I want to tell you, friends, God is always true. God's word is always true, and Satan is always a liar. Mark it down. Satan is always a liar. And it's as true now as it was way back then in the Garden of Eden, right? Eden. Think about it, right? Satan's lying to you today about how important certain things are in your life. Well, I don't need to focus on on worshiping God by connecting with my local church and being engaged in discipleship. See what I did there? You, 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 you might think, oh, I've got other more important things to do. I mean, these things are important. I'm helping this company grow. I could go on and on and on with examples. Satan wants to deceive you. And by the way, I, just, I, I do need to say, there's incredibly meaningful work that happens companies, corporations, things like that. As a believer, working in whatever job you have, working with integrity and working to honor the Lord, incredibly meaningful. Don't hear me say your work's not meaningful. What we want to be saying is let's focus in whatever we do on, on working and on, on, on playing in proportion to the way that God has called us to and assigned us to particular tasks in our lives. Because that's where the real true joy is found. If you're seeking development, if you're seeking progress without devotion to the Lord, you're building your own kingdom and the Lord won't bless it. He might bless it. Well, let me rephrase. It might look blessed on this earth, but your life sentence is going to be the same. And he died. And after that, we have to account for whether or not we were walking with God. Not whether we walked with God perfectly, but whether we called upon God and we walked with God. And so mark it down, right? When God tells us that our most important priority in this life is walking with God in the life of the local church and ministering to brothers and sisters in Christ and being available to love and serve our neighbors in the name of Jesus. We call it reaching and teaching and living out what it means to be wholehearted. That's an important word, wholehearted followers of Jesus Christ. Nothing is more true than that mission that God has called us to. Yes, that involves your family. Absolutely. 
often a number one ministry priority. God's word is always true. Satan is always a liar. Remember when, when, when Satan said to the Lord, I'm sorry, when the Lord said to Adam and Eve, or to Adam, he said, in the day that you eat of it from the knowledge, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. What did Satan say? Satan said, you, know that. you shall not surely die. Now we don't, it's hard to know exactly where the emphasis was there. You know, you shall not surely die, or you shall not surely die. Like maybe that's just like, well, maybe it's just a maybe you'll die. Satan is going to try to cause us to doubt God's word. Well, chapter 5 tells us who was right. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Now, they didn't die immediately, but they did die immediately, spiritually speaking. But they did die. And then every generation after, they've died. Everybody dies. And we see this phrase, it sounds like a, a funeral bell just over and over again. And he died. And he died. Everyone must die. And we need to feel the weight of God's judgment on sin. But here's the beautiful thing, friends, that, that message that I carry to you because someone carried to me that you get to carry to others is not a message of hopelessness. It is not a message of despair. It's a message that says every one of us is going to die. Every one of us deserves to die. Every one of us deserves to be separated from God. But God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There is always a but God in the Bible. There is always a but God for your situation. As long as you can hear the preaching of God's word, there is a but God. There's two causes for our death. Well, Adam's sin. Because Adam sinned, everyone is born into sin, but also our own personal sin. We can't quite get away with just kind of blaming it on Adam, right? Because if we were in Adam's shoes, we'd have done the same thing, Right? We did done the same thing. Death entered the human race through Adam's disobedience. When Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually, like I said, immediately. But then also it followed through that they died uh, physically as well. Paul says it like this in two passages in Romans. I'll put them up here for you. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. So you see right there, death comes to us through Adam, but it all comes to all men because we've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But when we walk with God, we have hope of eternal life. When we walk with God, we have the hope of eternal life. Now, it's really easy here to think of, uh, it's really easy here to start thinking about religion. Are there things that God has called us to do? Absolutely. But really what it all falls under is this, this, this large umbrella heading of, of walking with God and living in such a way that, that we're growing in our relationship with the Lord. And so we want other people to come to know this too. I, I'm going to tell you, we have a baptism and membership service coming up July 10th. And I'll tell you, mark your calendars down. And if you can move something to be here for that day, do so. It will be a fantastic service. It will be a wonderful service. And I'll tell you why. We're preparing uh, a handful of, of baptism testimony videos right now. And one of the things, and I say this to people when we're getting ready to record the videos, and I'm sure they're probably like, here's the thing to make me feel better for the video. But I want to tell you, one of the greatest joys that I have in this life is working through 
helping people prepare their baptism testimony video, their salvation story, because we get to wrestle through different aspects of it and, and what part was me and what part was God. And we get to just uh, kind of shape that a little bit together. And then we get to talk through it again. And then I get to watch them practice it before they actually hit record on the camera there. And then they get to record it. We record it more times than they care to record it. Let me tell you. But we do that. So we have multiple copies and angles and all that sort of stuff. But let me tell you what, to hear someone's story of how they were lost without hope. walking aimlessly through this world, following their own temptations. Realizing their sin and their need for a savior. And then seeing that God, God brought someone into their life. God connected them with somebody, another Christian like you. And they got to tell them about the hope of Jesus Christ. And they said, oh, but not for me. Yes, it's for you. For me, really? Are you sure? It's for everyone who will repent of their sins and call upon the name of Jesus. And he will save you and he will change your life. What? Yes. It's not, oh, I'm going through my life. I'm doing my own thing and I'm hopeless. Oh, Jesus, okay. Yeah, that's nice. Well, I'll start coming to church. Oh, don't just start coming to church. You need to, you need to turn from uh, walking your own way. When my, my kids were younger and we would uh, have disciplined conversations sometimes in our restroom, we had a door. Uh, let's see. We're going to go this way. We, we're going to go this way. We had a door, uh, and it, it, like because bathrooms have doors, and we had a mirror on the door. And one of the things we would just frequently talk about is, listen, when you live this way, you're like, and I would make them, they would like roll their eyes and we'd just say, walk toward this mirror. You're walking toward yourself. You're, you're going toward what you want. And Jesus says, call on me and turn around and walk with me. And that's what the Bible calls repentance. And when you repent of your sins and you trust Jesus as your savior, your whole life gets new color. And I'm not trying to be over dramatic because it's not always fun. Uh, it's not always easy. It doesn't always seem wonderful, but it is wonderful when we're walking with Jesus. You may have been Christian for a long time and you're in a place now where you're feeling kind of dry. Well, start walking with Jesus again. Right? I mean, let's not make any bones about it. You don't have to prep yourself up. You don't have to dust yourself off. You just need to say, Lord, I need to come home. I'm coming home. And you start walking with Jesus again. Almost every time I uh, hear someone passing away, um, I have the opportunity to do, you know, funerals, sometimes for our church family, sometimes for those in the community. One of the things I often hear, and by the way, I just want to tell you, I don't know if you have had someone that's passed away recently. I mean, absolutely no disrespect. But this is the reality of many of the conversations that I hear. I see people and they comfort themselves. And maybe they wipe a tear and they say, you know, he surely is in a better place. 
And sometimes that's surrounded by a day of godless talk of, well, any number of things that don't look anything like somebody loved the Lord Jesus. It almost always centers around the fact that they were nice. Even if they weren't nice. Well, it was just his way. It was just her way. I'm so glad she's in a better place. No, they're not. If they did not turn from their sinful, selfish living and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus for salvation, they're separated from God for all of eternity. The Gospel of Matthew says it this way, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all, I'm sorry, and they will gather out of his kingdom all the causes of sin and the lawbreakers. They will throw them into a fiery furnace and in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, I cannot tell you the importance of hearing this aspect of our need a savior. Now we're not measuring how long they walked with God because I've known people in the very end of their life who have repented of their sins. They knew they were a savior. In fact, they had a hard time sometimes coming to the Lord because they, they know I'm dying soon. I'm not going to have time to do very much good. And I said, that doesn't matter. Turn from your sins and trust in Jesus now. God credits, credits it to you as righteousness. And you will close your eyes and you will open your eyes in glory. Friends, that's the promise of God. There's joy in walking with God, right? A walk with God begins by faith. Uh, the world takes note of those who achieve in, in science or in business or in farming or in entertainment or other aspects of agriculture, right? We celebrate the... the, 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 the um, we, we celebrate, we make celebrities of notorious criminals. We study them, we follow them, become heroes in their own right. In fact, some people even commit crimes just to have their name live on as a criminal. What a tragic way to live your life. Hebrews 11, 5 and 6. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. And now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, as having walked with God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Enoch believed God. Friend, I need to ask this morning, do you believe God? Do you believe God that you, 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 you're not good enough to work your way to heaven? Do you believe God that you are in desperate need for a savior. Ah, but do you believe God that he sent his son Jesus to be the sin sacrifice for you so that you will close your eyes in death and open your eyes in eternity? An eternity filled with promise and relationship and ongoing wonderful worship, right? That's the starting point is coming to walk, I mean coming to God in faith. 
I'll tell you, a walk with God is helped by a family. We see here uh, lineages of families here. And we see one generation of a family that walked with God and another generation of a family that did not walk with God. And then we get several down and we see more. We see the progression, only several generations, I think seven generations where it changed from a godly line to an ungodly line. Seven generations from Adam through Seth, we find Enoch and we find later we find Noah. And so there's good news and there's bad news about this reality of a walk with God often beginning with a family. Well, the good news is whatever your past, whatever your upward family line is, whatever the the drama is, whatever the, the relationship struggles were in your family, you can be, by God's grace, an agent of that change. You can be the one where people began to walk with God. You may have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. This is why this legacy virtual conference is important. If you're able to, oh, well, I said virtual conference, it's a couple hours, but if you're able to be a part of that, and you say, well, I don't, I don't know what to do here. Well, this is not a conference to just see who knows what to do the best. This is a This is a a meeting to help you, to encourage you, to equip you how to do one thing where you can begin discipling your grandchildren. You, You can be that agent of change if your children are not walking with the Lord. The bad news, bad news of the same observation is that your family may have walked with God for many, many years. And if you don't walk with God, you can be the one to change it. You can bring the lack of blessing of not walking with God to your children who maybe more than likely will carry on the patterns that you have taught them in your life. Your your anger, your bitterness, your frustration, your jealousy can carry down from one generation to another and to another. Matthew Henry says, grace does not run in the blood. Corruption does. A sinner begets a sinner, but a saint does not beget a saint. Parents, your children will never be Christians because you are a Christian. You must teach them. It is the joy of our lives to get to sit around the family or sit in the living room, or I'll tell you, I'm just a little window from the McGee household. Sometimes some of our best gospel conversations come come after Pastor Dad has sinned. Can tell you. I speak in the wrong tone, or whatever the case might be. I have plenty of examples in my life looking at sin. And I'm not here to roll them under the bus, but there's plenty in there too. And I would guess yours. But we recognize, you know, uh, some, you know sometimes our, our kids like to wear hoodies or things like that. And one of the things we don't do is we don't, when we're mad or when we're 
feeling ashamed or when they've done something wrong. We don't throw the hoodie over and it was one of the first things we do because that's how Satan wants us to walk around in this life with a proverbial hoodie over our head, walking around like we're ashamed and we're not good enough to look people in the eye. And I will walk over and I will pull that hoodie back and I'll say, it does not ever matter what you do. You never need to hide from God. And you don't need to hide from me. Parents, that will speak life to your children. Grandparents, that will speak life and joy and peace to your grandchildren. Not performance, not, eh, do better next time. Okay, I'll try to do better next time. No. Look at me in the eye. I love you. And even when I don't love you the way that I ought to, God loves you. Walk with him. Walk with the one, the only one in all the universe that will love you without regret, that will love you with purpose, that will love you without failure. And I just want to tell you as we wrap up, a walk with God is not fancy. It's not spectacular. We live this life, we suffer in this life, we, we struggle in this life in such a way that God will use our struggles to shine the spotlight of His grace on our lives. And the world will take note because God is at work. We're not here to make a name for ourselves. We're not here to make a name for Oak Grove Church. I'm not here to make a name for Pastor Matt. One day I'm going to be gone. I'm going to slide out. Somebody else is going to slide in. And the work of God is going to continue. I wasn't here last week. The work of the ministry went on just fine. Start to get a little insecure sometimes. Be like, oh, maybe they'll realize they don't need me. God gives us this picture of, of walking with him. It's a beautiful picture of the spiritual life, of, of growing with him, right? It's, it's not the quickest. It's not the flashiest. In fact, I'll tell you, Romans 5, oh, I don't have time. Romans 5 just gives us this beautiful picture that through our difficulties and our, our trials and our struggles, God will develop in us perseverance. Well, what does that mean? It means you got to... It means you have to continue to walk holding God's hand, clinging to God's word, clinging to the body of Christ through the struggle. Not over the struggle or around the struggle, through the struggle. And God, through walking with him through the struggle, God develops perseverance. And perseverance develops character, steadfastness. And steadfastness develops your character. And character produces Hope and hope is a confident expectation that God is who he says he is, that God never lies, that Satan always lies, and that God will always keep every promise. But of course, you have to do your own walking. I can't walk for you. You can't walk for me. You got to take the initiative, you got to take the effort. You've got to take the time that's necessary to walk with the Lord. I'll tell you, 
you're not going to know the Bible overnight. God doesn't expect you to know the Bible overnight. You can know it a little bit better after five minutes reading the Bible. After an hour reading the Bible, after a day reading the Bible, after years of reading the Bible, you'll know it a little bit better. And the beautiful thing is that because of God's perfect wisdom in all of the universe, nothing in our life throws him off kilter. God's not going to say, oh man, I really need you to know this part of the Bible by now, but you just started walking with me. I guess I'm going to have to scramble. God never scrambles. God didn't send Jesus as a plan B. Jesus was the plan A all along. And Jesus came. He walked with God as the God-man. And we're encouraged to do the same. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus, our Savior. Have this mind, this attitude, this posture among yourselves, which is yours. It's yours in Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. Uh, Pastor Timothy Keller says a wonderful thing about the word humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Jesus humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Walking in this life, it's the only way to live in this world with hope of eternal life. So what's your life sentence going to be? Is it simply going to be, he died, she died? Or maybe it'll be, he walked with God and lives. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would capture our minds and our hearts with the realities of what we've looked at this morning. Our world and our own hearts even want to lie to us about how wonderful you are. To see you as one that is uh, just about rules and regs, and you do give us those things because you love us in the same way that we give our kids or our grandkids rules because we care about them. We want to take care of them. In fact, the lie from Satan is that you're not good. But you are. And it's not something that you, you do. It's who you are. It's your very nature. And in your goodness, you made a way for evil people like myself to be made right with you. And you don't hold these things over our head. You simply call us to come and to follow you, to walk with you. I pray that you would help us to do that. 
In Jesus' name, amen.